Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want to read one verse of scripture to you before I pray. Revelation 2, chapter 7. The scripture says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. Look at the first verse. Go back to it. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I want you to hear today what God has to say to us from a sermon title. Next screen. We need to get back to where we were so we can go to where he wants us to go. Y'all don't get it yet. Everybody ain't saved, sanctified, fire baptized and filled with the Holy you don't have to do all that just because you Holy Ghost filled we need to get back to where we were so we can go to where he wants us to go God has a plan pray with me God thank you for your word God I pray today that you would truly give us ears to hear what you have to say to us Father I pray that you would anoint my mouth and my mind and let me say only those things that you would have me to say speak to us God by your spirit, from your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Many times when I preach, you hear me say, or you might have heard other people say, um, that he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says. The passage of scripture we're going to be looking at is where they get that saying from, and I really want your ears to hear today. You say, well, I can't help here, you got a microphone. Listen, you can hear me and not hear me. You're going to hear some noise in your ear, but I want you to hear what God is saying on the inside. I want you to let it get through your ear canal and down into your spirit, man, so that you can really accept what God has for you. Some of y'all just clicking me off already. I see it in your body language. I see it in your eyesight. Some of y'all just shaking y'all's head like this. You don't want to receive what God has for you. Listen, God has a way of getting hold of people that don't want to be got a hold of. Amen. The harder you are, the longer I preach. The, I'm, I'm, I'm the hammer, you're the nail. The, 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 the harder you make, the more you resist, the harder I swing. I know God wants to get through to you. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to loosen you up. The Bible says laughter does the heart good like a medicine. I want you to receive the word of the Lord today. I want you to get what God has for you today. I'm going to read seven verses so you get it before you fall asleep, and then we're going to look at these verses. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven gold 
lampstands. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus talks to John the Revelator about seven specific churches and the problems that they're having. And these churches weren't the only seven churches in the land. Jesus picked these seven churches out because they were representative of what churches go through throughout time. And we need to find ourselves in this passage. Verse 2, he said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and had patience and labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. This church he's saying some good things to. If you look at the other six churches, he says some things that aren't so good to some of them. And he says some good things to some of them as well. But in verse 4, after having said some good things about them in the previous verses, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, wherefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come. Listen, he said, or else. If you had a good mom, a good dad, and they looked at you and just told you something, you say, do this or else. You really don't have to say a whole lot after that. Because if you've been raised right, you know, I hey, I'm on it. Don't need it. But he said, or else. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Repent is one of the key foundations of all Scripture in Christian living. But it's one of the least preached subjects in America because people don't like it. And America has left preaching the truth to preach what people like. When we, when we started this church, the first year we started this church, I felt that I should go and see how the big boys do it, go and, 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 and get some ideas and see what God would have me to learn. I went to the leading church grower at that time. Pastor Rick Warren had his book. Uh, what was the name of that book? Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Youth Group, Purpose Driven Toilet Cleaner. He made $100 million trillion gazillion dollars off all those books but he had pastors come out and a couple thousand pastors went out huge huge church and he stood up and taught to teach pastors how to grow a church and everything he said cut me in my heart after 15 minutes of being there at a five-day south uh california southern california uh, church, I knew if there was a plane leaving now, I'd just get on it and go. Here's what he said. Never preach more than 25 minutes. Like, well, my average sermon is an hour and five. I mean, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of cut down. He said, never preach about sin because you don't want the people to feel guilty because they, they come to church to be encouraged. I'm thinking... Well, it's nice to get encouraged at church, but I don't come to church to get encouraged. I come to church because I love the Lord. Encouraged or discouraged. He said, never have any type of altar call because you don't want to embarrass people. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, don't talk about sin or hell ever. Because people, and Pastor Joel Osteen says the same thing. People feel beat up all week long. They don't need to come to church and hear they're going to hell. i tell you what, if you're going to hell, I want to let you know you're going to hell so you make a change. Because I don't want you to go to hell. 
Verse 6, he said, but this you have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then verse 7 says that famous line, to he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then it says this, and this is the part I want us to get. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Whatever you go through in life, whatever you learn about God, whatever you embrace or discard in religion, I want you to be able to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst. Of, I want you to make heaven. Amen? Do not miss it. It doesn't matter as much what you accomplish in this life. You can be the richest person. You could be Bill Gates. You could be Warren Buffett. You could be all them times a thousand. You, you, could, you could be the president of the world. But if you die and go to hell, you've missed out hard. You'd be better off to be homeless and illiterate living in a ditch and go to heaven when you die and spend eternity in heaven than to have success here for 50 or 60 years. Make sure you make heaven. This is the, this is the key thing. Make, Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which is lost. We need to make sure first and foremost that we're saved. But this passage is, is, is what Jesus had to say to a specific church that was in Ephesus. But I believe that what he's saying here is applicable to our church and to most churches in Western civilized world today. And I want us to see what we can learn from this because this church lines up really with what's going on in our world today. But to get a better understanding of this passage, we need to go back. Sometimes if you jump into chapter 2 and you're a little hazy about it, go back and read chapter 1. Because the Bible, most of the Bible is written contextually. Chapter 2 is just an expansion of what was already said in chapter 1. And chapter 3 relates to what has already been said in chapter 2. And in Revelation 1.17, Jesus is talking to the Apostle John. And he's telling John to write these things down so that we could have them in Scripture. And in verse 17, he said, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. The apostle John sees Jesus, he gets this revelation and Jesus said, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. Verse 18, he said, I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. That's Jesus. Jesus was somebody who lived, who died and who's alive again forevermore. That is the gospel. He said, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Another version says death and hell. Verse 19 is where he said, write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Verse 20 is what we need to understand to get into chapter 2. He said, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. That's wordy. That's hard to understand. Here's the trick of the devil for new Christians and for unsaved people. Every, every unsaved person I ever met that wanted to read the Bible wanted to start with the book of the Revelation. I want to read Revelations. Well, you can't read Revelations, because it, not in the Bible, because that's not a book in the Bible. There's no S in the word revelation. It's not revelations. It's revela the revelation that Jesus gave to 
John. But it's got all this analogy. It's got all this mystery. It's got all these things that are difficult to understand. But in the end of verse 20, Jesus tells John that what some of this stuff represents. Because he saw somebody standing with seven gold lampstands and seven stars in his hand. And he says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now this word angel of the church does not mean a winged creature with eyes all around itself. This is not talking about a heavenly being. If you came up in an old school congregational black Baptist church, you have heard the proper use at some point in your life. Nobody does um, what, introductions like uh, Baptist congregational churches. They, I mean, if, you better sit down and bring a sandwich before they introduce somebody. They have some dude commentator. Might, we'd like you to introduce our guest. I got it, though. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Giving first. Always that. You go and get that. Giving first. Glory to God. To all his people represented here. The bishops. Elders, deacons. Not forgetting our visitors. The founding member. All those who have labored and struggled and served, yet still remain faithful. Hallelujah. It is my ubiquitous pleasure to be the lowly voice of the one who would be given the greatest privilege, pleasure, and honor of my deep soul to introduce to you this morning, on today, on today, on today, what does that mean? On today, you heard that. You went to Baptist Congregational Church, you heard on today. I'm not just doing it today, I'm doing it on today. With my ubiquity and my greatest prosperity of prolific to ponder the preaboli. And without further ado, because I've been rambling now 79 minutes, because we ain't going to get out of here till the sun goes down. But I'd like you to prepare your hearts and your minds with a spirit of receptivity, appreciation, gratitude for the years of hard work, service, dedication, through trials and struggles, heartaches, defeats, and yea, even victory. The angel of this house. We finally got to it. The angel of this house. Prophet, apostle, pastor, evangelist, teacher. Founder, 
general overseer, grand potentate, prelate, and magnate. Our speaker for this hour, pastor, whoever, the angel of the church is not a flying winged creature. It's the pastor of the local church. This is what the Bible is teaching. And so the angel of the seven, the, the seven stars are the angels. The seven stars are the pastors of the churches, and the seven lampstands are the churches themselves. It's going to help you if you understand what the Bible's saying. So the seven stars are the angels, say angels, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the what? The churches. We got stars, we got lamp. Stands. We got angels. It's all a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to make it make sense in just a minute. In, in this passage in chapter 2, God's giving a warning to the church so it wouldn't have its lampstand taken away. God's giving a warning to these seven churches because here's the thing. Just because you call yourself a church don't mean God is moving there. Just because you gather together on Sunday morning and have a bulletin doesn't really mean you're a church. Just because you say it's a church, if there is no angel and there is no lampstand, then there is no glory of God to be had. A local church, according to Scripture, can lose the light of the church that makes it a true church. There, there are a lot of churches in this world who've lost their lampstand, their, their usefulness. The people are still saved. They still call it a church, but the church is just dead. The church is not spiritual in nature. It may be doing some things. It may, it may have activity, but without God shining on it, then it's not the church that God wants it to be. Not only have a lot of churches lost their usefulness, there are a lot of Christians in the world who've lost their fire for God. You need to make sure God doesn't take away your usefulness due to your lethargy. You need to make sure God does not take away your usefulness due to your apathy. You need to, I'm in a black preacher moment. You need to make, you need to make sure that God, I'm, I'm just make, trying to figure out how many words I can use to say the same thing because, you know, that's what old school preachers do. You need to make sure that based on the way you live your life, God doesn't say you're not useful to me anymore. We play with God and we falsely think that God's going to accept anything we throw his way. Because we showed up to church. We didn't show up to church and crawl over broken glass to get here. We're not sitting on spikes, sitting in padded chairs with very little air conditioning running right now. But too many people are going through the motions with no fire. And I want you to see what God says about taking your fire away. What God says about taking away the thing that really makes you, really helps you. Be all that God has called you to be. See, the Apostle Paul was the great apostle. The Apostle Paul was used by God to write about half the New Testament. He was the overseer over hundreds of churches in Asia, and he won the whole two continents to Christ. He was just incredibly used by God, and he said his greatest fear was that having preached to others, he himself would become reprobate. Now, that word reprobate, in the King James Version of the Bible, means counterfeit. 
that he himself would become no longer legit, that he wouldn't be the real thing anymore, that he wouldn't be all that he can be. And I wonder if there's anybody in the room humble enough, wise enough, smart enough, holy enough, godly enough to admit today that you are not being all that you can be for God. This is not popular. This is not popular. Getting people to examine themselves and get real, that's not popular. People want five keys to financial freedom. People want three ways to win. That's what's being preached around the world. It's packing in churches uh, left, right, and sideways. But the Bible wants us to know the truth. God, God, God is speaking to John about this particular church. He says some good things. He says some bad things about them. He gives them a strong word of warning that we need to pay careful attention to because I feel like the Apostle Paul. I got saved on July 15, 1981. By the end of that summer, in a few short weeks, I was teaching Sunday school. By the fall semester of that year, I was enrolled in Bible college at Luther Rice Bible College and seminary. I dove in head first. We were talking about head first diving Wednesday night uh, and, and getting into deep. I dove in head first and was fully I've been preaching this gospel for 36 years. I've seen thousands and thousands of people get saved, marriages healed, people grow in their faith. I, I have done a lot. I've, I've traveled the world and preached to, to different people with and without translators, and I count all that as nothing if I fail in my own personal relationship with God. Paul said, I don't want to have preached to others and me myself not be legit. I wonder how legitimate you are sitting in this church today. I wonder how real you are about Christianity. Uh, one, one, one person said it this way, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you of your claim? Or are you just doing this? See, because anybody can talk about it, but we need to what? We need to be about it. We need to be about what we say. This is why people don't want to come to church. The number one reason people say that they don't want to come to church is what, Christian? All the hypocrites at the church. I ain't going to that. Ain't nothing at the church but hypocrites. That preacher don't want nothing but money. Uh, he, he, he just out there trying, trying, to, trying to get over. And people want to talk. My, my cousin goes there and she ain't about nothing. People say they don't want to come to church because of all the hypocrites. Uh, let me give you the answer. I've been giving y'all for, for the whole time we've been a church, 16 years in this church, I've been telling y'all. If somebody tells me they don't go to church because of the hypocrites and I'm standing in on Winn-Dixie, I'm like, you came to Winn-Dixie, there's hypocrites in here. That didn't stop you. You go to the bank to, to get your money, there's hypocrites in the bank. Uh, well, I don't go to Winn-Dixie and I don't go to the bank. I have direct deposit. You go to your house and keep you from going home at night. The hypocrites in, listen, the Bible says in some way we're all hypocrites. A hypocrite is a theatrical term, which means somebody who wears a mask. And at some point, we all say one thing and do another. But we need to get legit. We need to be real. The world needs to see some real Christians. This neighborhood needs to see some real Christians. They need to see some people who live for Jesus. How are we going to let cults 
out-serve out us. How are we going to let the Mormon church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they don't even believe Jesus is God. They don't even believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. They don't even believe you must be born again. They don't even believe being filled with the Holy Ghost. But they're going out knocking on doors. Jehovah Witnesses a cult. They're going out knocking on doors every Saturday, waking me up at 9 o'clock. What are you talking about here? We, we got people going, serving with no real relationship with God. We claim to be the bearers of the truth. The Christian church, the born-again church, claims to be the real Christians. But where is the life of a real Christian? If we don't offer the world anything to see beyond what they can already see, then we have no fire. See, if you ever really get sold out, if you ever really get filled with God's Spirit, if you ever really get dedicated to God, you ain't going to have to worry about, well, what about all my friends? You ain't going to have to worry about how to break away from your friends that are still out there creeping and, 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 and slipping and, and drugging and drinking. They're going to leave you. <laughs> you, you, you know why? Because you're going to be killing their high. Go to their party. You're killing my buzz, man. What are you talking about all that God and holy living stuff? You don't have to worry about that. You ever get really fired up for God, the light in you is going to shine so brightly that everybody's going to say something happened to that dude right there. That girl is a changed person, but there's not enough light shining. You know why? Because God said, here, take that lampstand right out of the church that you go to. And right out of the life that you're living. Let's look at verse 2. See what the word says. I know your works. He's talking to his church at Ephesus. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and found them liars. He's saying good things. All this, some of this sounds a little deep, but he's saying good things about this church. He says to the church, here's what I see. He said, I know your works, comma, always pay attention to the punctuation. That comma is cause for pause. You've got to stop and think about what the word is saying. Jesus said, I know your works. That's good news for some, that's bad news to others. That, see, the Bible says the word's a two-edged sword. It cuts on both sides. Jesus knows your work. See, you can fool some of the people some of the time. You can even get over on the preacher if you get up real early in the morning. Trouble with that, I didn't even go to bed till 6.35 this morning for an hour and 10 minutes. So you got to get up real early to sneak by me. But you might even sneak by me, but you can't sneak by Jesus. That's a two-edged sword. That cuts on both ways. Because if you're really saved and serving God, sometimes you're going to feel like, I'm all alone. Sometimes you're going to feel like people don't know how much I really love God. People don't see all the, all the sacrifice that I do. People don't know how much I give. People don't know how much I pray. People don't know how much I lay out before God. But the bottom line is people may not know, but God knows. That ought to encourage somebody that you're living for God, you're legit, you're real. That ought to encourage you to know. The preacher don't have to pat you on the back. You, you don't need any recognition from everybody. God knows what you're doing. I said it's a double-edged sword, though. For all you fake, phony, lying, slipping, dipping, creeping people. Hallelujah, Pastor. Glory to God. Oh, I'm just blessed, highly favored. God knows you. You're not faking God out with your church speak. 
You're not, you're not sliding one over on God. He knows your works, whether they be good or bad. I already told y'all, I have no problem with Christmas. I have no problem with Santa Claus. I'm not one of these preachers that try to say, arrange the words, and it says Satan. It's Santa Claus. I get that. Fat man in a red suit. I have no problem with Santa Claus other than the one song that they sing about him that they, they falsely apply to him that only applies to God. He knows what you're doing. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. He knows your works. See, this is an encouragement to the legit people, but this is a, oh, man, mm, I thought I was fooling folk. He knows your work and your labor and your patience. This church had people who were doing good works. They were laboring hard. They were patient in their faith and in their process of becoming who God wanted to be. He said, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Not being able to bear those who are evil is a hallmark of Christianity. This, he's commending them. See, in the world we live in today that preaches inclusion, that preaches tolerance, that preaches accept everybody that because they're all basically good. No, people are not basically good. Uh, get around enough people, you'll figure that out. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked beyond all imagination. Left to ourselves, we are completely undone and wicked at our core. Not me. I'm a sweet person. Uh, ain't what the Bible says. But not being able to bear those who are evil is foundational to Christian living. The book of Proverbs that we read every month as a church, we read the chapter that corresponds to the day of the month, and we read through the whole book of Proverbs every month, year in, year out, year in, year out. It teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The starting point for being who God wants you to be is the fear of the Lord. Well, that's a wordy phrase, and if we ask people that ain't been around me for a long time, they'd have different, well, that means to reverence God, to respect God, to, to, to look at him as a, as a father who, who you have careful honor for. That, that's cute, but that's not what it means, because the Bible says in Proverbs 8, 13, that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, arrogance, and pride, and the perverse person and the mouth that they use to speak perverseness with. The starting point to being who God wants you to be is to learn how to hate evil. We live in a country that does not hate evil. We live in a country that embraces evil. Do you know who's promoted in America? Wicked, trashy, weird people. You know who's looked down on in America? Godly, saved, fire-baptized, sold-out Christians. The world has flipped the script and put the top on the bottom and the bottom on the top. And this church knew we ain't down with them people that are evil. You're like, well, I'm supposed to love everybody. Yeah, you love everybody, but you don't embrace it. You love everybody, but you don't go fishing with everybody. You love everybody, but you don't hang out with evil. This was accommodation for this church because they knew how to stay holy. Not only that, he said, you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Now, many people embrace a doctrine called cessation that the apostolic age has ceased when the first 12 apostles died out that is not true that's a false doctrine this is an end time revelation this is what God is saying to the church at Ephesus then and to us now we need to be able to discern who the real apostles are 
and who the false apostles are. There are churches that teach there are no more apostles in the earth today. If there were no more apostles in the earth, Jesus wouldn't be congratulating people who know how to pick the, the real one from the fake ones. Okay, that's common sense. He said, and you found them to be liars. So he's telling them all this good stuff. I know your works. This was a busy church. They had a lot of stuff going on. Our church is like that. We're a busy church. We got a lot of stuff going on. We got men's meetings, women's meetings. We got choir practice. We, we, we got children's church. We got youth church. We got fellowships. We, we got outreach. We got 13 churches in uh, Monrovia, Liberia, West Africa that we oversee. We got missionary friends around the world that we send money to faithfully every month so they can continue to do ministry. We got orphanages full of lepers in India. We're a busy church. But busy don't always equate to legit. You can be busy and not really have a strong relationship. We, we, we think about it. We, we, we got two long-standing members in our church, and, and one of the closest people to me in the world, Deacon West, and his beautiful wife, which he don't deserve, Nixon. <laughs> they ain't all right. You, you know it. You agree with that. Nixon can be busy serving him, bringing him his food, it's going to be, you know, uh, some kind of beans and rice and, uh, every night. My kids spend a night over there. They, they, they've been their, their closest friends from, from birth because we all grew up together in this church. And I finally stopped asking, what did y'all eat over there last night? You spent a night beans and rice? Beans and rice? That's, that's what y'all ate? Frijoles negro? Platanos? Y'all, did y'all at least get platanos? Tiscone? Something? Beans and rice? But she could be busy making beans. She could be busy making rice. She could get a world-famous tostones uh, and, and a little orange mayonnaise. Who here? Yeah. Ain't nothing like dipping one of them crunchy testones in Zabadalalaba. She can be busy doing that, rubbing them corned up, bunion having feet, working out them big traps and, and that swole back from all that gym he's at. She can be busy doing all those things. But if in her mind she's tired of it, and it's not really coming from a place of love and relationship, that negates all that. That ain't worth that ain't that ain't worth the frijoles negro she put on the plate. That is that, the relationship has to be stronger than everything. You don't learn how to love somebody by serving them. You serve somebody because you love them. Your service ought to be an outflow of the love that you have for them. Busy should come from a heart of love, but some people just just get busy and lose that love. And then they end up in a marriage where they're just going through the motions. That marriage is in trouble. That marriage needs to sit down and talk like Jesus is saying, you got some good stuff going on, but I see something getting sideways here. There are people in church serving God, but the thrill is gone. Listen, when your thrill is gone, you need, you need to get something right. You, you can be busy, you can be hard at it, you can be working for the Lord, but it's not about how hard you work, it's about how close you are to Him. We got people in the, singing in the choir 
that don't read their Bible every day. Anybody believe that? Everybody in the choir believes that. We, we got people serving in every aspect of ministry with people that don't have the prayer life that they know they should have. Why? Because sometimes you forget what's more important. You get so busy doing stuff that you forget what God created you. We are human beings, not human doings. Don't let your doing overcome your being. You need to be in a relationship with God, not do in a relationship with God. The being is paramount. He goes on to say more about them. In verse 3, he says, You've persevered and had patience and have labored for my name's sake and not become weary. This is a phenomenal church. This is a great church. They're doing good stuff. They're busy. They're working. They're persevering. They're, where are we at? They, they, they got patience. They, they, they're laboring for the Lord. And look at the last verse. And have not become weary. I can tell you, it gets weary doing God's work. It gets tiresome doing God's work. But you got to remember, I do what I do out of my love for him. So the joy of the Lord can be your strength. Here's how you know if what you're doing for God, and some of y'all aren't doing nothing, so you know you lights out. But if you're doing anything for God, this is how you know it's legit. If you feel enthused in your doing it. If you feel built up in your doing it, if you get to the place like, I'm just tired of being the only one that keeps inertia. I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm the only, when you get bitter in your doing, the light, the thrill is gone, baby. And it's time to get fixed on the inside. These people had great things going on the outside. From an outward view, best church out of all seven of them. From an outward view, home run. All day long. You, you, your family can look like the perfect family in the world. I love those skits they show. Some churches do skits and, and show skits on the, on the screen. They show that skit of the family driving up to the church. And they're yelling at each other the whole time. Husband and wife fighting. Kids arguing. Everybody cussing each other out. They get to the parking lot. Mom or dad turns around. You better act right. You better do it. They get out of the car. Well, hi, brother. Huh, that's not Christianity, that's churchiness. Churchiness is what, not what God's looking for. God's looking for real Christians. We need to be real Christians. This, this church looks like it's got it all going on, but just looking like you got it going on doesn't really mean that you are legitimate. Verse 4 is where he, the rubber meets the road, and he says, nevertheless. Man, if somebody butters you up, says some good things about you, and it says, uh, nevertheless, or, um, but you know something, it's about to flip. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. He said, I got something against you. you got, you're doing some good stuff, but you left your first love. If somebody were to look at all the things we're doing as a church, all the ministries we're supporting as a church, all the outreach that we're doing as a church, they wouldn't be able to do anything but say, man, they, they got some good things going on over there. We're one of the few multiracial churches that make it happen in this community, in this racially divided America. They, they couldn't help but to look at it and say, man, that, that church got some special things about it. But if we're not doing it out of our love for God, we're, we're right here in this. If you've left your first love, you, you got trouble because he said you left your first love. He didn't say you lost it. He said you left it. 
He, he didn't say it got taken from you. He said you left it. The word is specific. You need to read the Bible and understand how specific it is. See, you could lose something on accident. But when you leave something, you meant to do that. This, this, this is not accidental. This is intentional. And, and I want you to know this morning, if the thrill is gone for you, if you're no longer fanatically in love with Jesus, it's not because he did something wrong. It's because you walked away. You may still be sitting in church every Sunday. You may still be serving in ministry. But if you are not sold out crazy in love with Jesus more than anything else on this planet, you've lost your first love. Because if you ever got saved at all, you know there was a time in your life where Jesus mattered more than anything. Am I telling the truth, Shannon? Shannon's so in love with God right now, it's just over the top crazy. And when you, when you first come into Christ, it's, it's just like, I mean, the air is, is better. The, the sky is bluer. The birds sound more beautiful. It, your crazy uncle don't seem so crazy no more. You just love everybody, and, and you just want to be in God and in church, and you want to read the Bible. You want to listen to gospel music, and you just want to be around people talking about Jesus. But then life happens, and you lose your first love. That honeymoon wears off. Now, let me tell you something. Honeymoons in the natural are designed to wear off. That honeymoon stage is not going to last forever. You be all skyrockets in flight, afternoon delight, four days a week coming home for lunch. You can have all that you want to have in honeymoon stage is not going to last. It's not designed to last forever. Deep covenant is greater in the natural than honeymoon stage. Deep connectivity, you find a couple that's been together for a long time. They, they'll tell you that the early years were, were awesome. The, the, the new love was, was great. But the depth of the connection they have now, Dina and Deacon Scott been married 28 years this past week, and they're closer now than they've ever been. Come on, give God praise for that. That's in the natural, though. But God is saying you're not designed spiritually to walk away from this kind of love. I'm talking about some of y'all not getting it. I want to get out of here quick. Some of y'all not. Let me break down. First love. Say first love. First love is best seen in our generation by 14, 13, some fast 12-year-olds. Don't raise fast children. Can't stand a fast child. Life's bad enough. Don't raise fast children. Raise children. Let me fast children. But a 14-year-old girl, she knows over-the-top fanatical first love. Oh, when, when that dude finally calls her on the phone, and she, she, her heart is beating out of her chest, and as soon as she hangs up and makes sure that it's fine, ah, ah, he called me, he called me, he called me, and she's the, he called me, he called me, he called me, he, he likes me, wow, ah. We're too dignified and grown now to love like that. We got too much swag and savoir faire. Yeah, she likes me, what? Who wouldn't? That puppy love 
If you ever had, I'm talking about stay on the phone because you refuse to be the first one to hang up. I'm talking about just lay there on that phone all night long, ear be hurting in the morning, still on the phone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? First love. That's real deal, legit. They, hey, there ain't nothing wrong with that. And you couldn't pry that kind of thing apart. Man, when they on the phone all night long, when that, that kind of, oh, he hung the moon before she realized that he farts too? I go you deeper. Before he realized that she farts too. Oh, no, Pastor, I poot. No, you. You flatulate. Hallelujah. He said, you're doing a lot of good stuff, but I'm against something. I got this one thing against you. You left your first love. I want you to know if the thrill is gone, if you're not in love with Jesus, you left your first love. He didn't leave you. So I remember those first days and weeks when I first got saved. Oh, man. I felt like the weight of the whole world was lifted off me. I was living in the gutter. I was living a rebellious, horrible lifestyle. And I, I felt, when I got saved, I felt clean for the first time in my life. I felt acceptable to God. And it was an incredible feeling. If you don't remember how great your life was when you first got saved, I want to encourage you, get saved for real. And that time, that, was, that would be like, man, I, I remember when I got saved. It was, it was amazing. I was so in love with God. It, it, was just, it was all I could think about. Listen. You don't have to be drinking, drugging, and whoremongering to be a backslider. Let me tell you what the ultimate definition of a backslider is. If you ever loved God more than you love God right now, you have slidden back. See, there's, there's too much backsliding going on in the church today. I've, I've told you all before, it's time to do it again. There's too much backsliding. The church needs to front slide. And I made that, you don't see nobody front sliding because I made that word up. But there's so much backsliding going on, it's time for some real Christian to say, I'm ready to slide front. I'm ready to go back to where I was so God can take me where he has for me. First love, the ancients, told, commentators told us that first love in the original language literally means total dependence on him. Oh, my goodness. When Sergeant Major... Where where'd you see her? Gym, cafeteria, the gym? I thought so. When he first saw Sonia outranking her in the army, he thought, I got to have that. And now in his mind, he's saying, she thought she ha. But when that when that thing was growing and locking on, he thought. That she was the greatest thing in the world, and she thought he hung the moon and the stars and named them all out of his own mind. When that first love is best called total. She was totally dependent. She couldn't breathe right if he wasn't in the room. She couldn't catch her breath around another man. When he walked in... Knees weak, eyes, nose wide open. <laughs> T 
totally dependent on each other. I need to talk to you. I can't go another day without seeing you. I need to hold you. I need to smell you. I need to hear your voice. I want to hear your laughter. I want to just be close to you. Total dependence. Are you that way with God? Or can you take him or leave him? You pick him up on Sunday, put him down on Monday. Live, live, live against him on Saturday night. Get dressed on Sunday. Smell the clothes from Saturday night to see if they got too much club on them to wear on Sunday morning. Ain't, ain't he right? You are not totally dependent on God. And if you are not totally dependent on God, you have left your first love. He gives the remedy in verse 5. Hear this and we're going to go. He said, remember, from therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Three things he said to do. And everyone in this room needs to do these three things. Because I don't know anybody in this room, maybe Shannon, I don't know anybody in this room that is head over heels, first love, totally dependent, more in love with Jesus right now than they've ever been. There's a remedy. Say remedy. He said in verse 5, first word in verse 5, what? Remember remember how it used to be. Do you remember what it was like when you first came to Jesus? When you gave everything to Jesus, remember his. I got a question for you. Why don't people live today the way they used to live? When I got saved 36 years ago, nobody had to call me, see why I wasn't in church on Sunday. Nobody had to wonder, I wonder if he'd be back on Wednesday night for Bible study. I was there. Nobody had to look for me to see if I was going to help stack chairs, cut the grass, do whatever. It was going on. Christians today, we have, just a couple weeks ago, we had 15, 20 people up here crying, making commitment to God. I, I, I see Javon and Shannon still left. Uh, a couple other people. People come now, they cry not, uh, make these big confessions to God, and then they just go back to living how they're living. That ain't real salvation. If you ever got saved for real, you need to remember how good it was when you first got saved. Where, where are the real Christians getting saved today? Like when I got saved, man, we fell deep into God. We fell in love with God. We read the Bible. Nobody had to tell us to read the Bible. We read the Bible all night. We fall asleep reading the Bible. Pray all night long. Fall asleep praying. Be on the phone witnessing, fellowshipping with people. That's real. If you, can, if you had a time like that, you need to remember. If you haven't had a time like that, you need to get saved. Second thing you need to do, not only remember, but verse 5 says repent. Say repent. This is the original message of the Bible. But people don't want to hear about repentance because it makes them admit that they're doing something wrong. But Jesus said of those born among women that not a greater risen than John the Baptist. John the Baptist's message was repent or perish. When Jesus came preaching in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' message, first words out of his mouth, repent or perish. You know what the message still is today? Repent or perish. People don't want to hear that. Repent is not an ugly word. Repent is, is, is not something to fear. Repent is something to embrace. Repent means a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Man, when I met Jesus, I repented. 
I repented. When my, my sister and I, we had gallons of whole grain alcohol in the trunk of our car, drink it out of gallon jugs, hot, get you, liquor gets you quicker. We, we were stone cold alcoholic. Well, we weren't alcoholics. We were drunks. The difference between drunk and alcoholic, alcoholics go to meetings. We were just drunks. When I saw that the Bible says that you shouldn't be drunk all the time, I was conf- I'm, I'm walking toward being drunk every day. I was reading the Bible, don't be drunk. I, I got to change my mind, and I got to walk away from that and walk to something new. But here's the problem in church today. People walking headlong towards sin, whoremongering, lying, cheating, stealing, gossiping, being hateful, judging folks. They see the truth, and they're like, oh, I need to turn around and go back to Jesus. Oh, let me sneak over here for a minute. Nobody knows not hurting anybody but me. Right back into sin again, and then they see the truth, and they're like, I ought to get back to Jesus. But I sure do like this over here. And so it becomes a ping-pong back-and-forth episode. That is not repentance. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow works repentance not to be repented of. See, I don't think cigarette smoking is any worse than gossiping because it's not. The Bible says God sees all sin on the same level. We make one bigger than the other, but they're all the same. But I'll use this because it's, it's, it's so, uh, it relates so well to the message. I, I, I don't want I don't, I to get in your business, but everybody that's ever quit smoking that I know quit smoking for like 12 times, 20 times, 315 times quit smoking. Am I right? It's, it's, my, it's my 12th time quitting alcohol, preacher. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't going to drink no more. I said that last month, but, you know, I'm, this month I'm quitting again. Quitting cigarettes again, quitting alcohol again. I'm quitting homongering again. I'm quitting not reading my Bible again. I'm, I'm quitting being lazy again. People quit and go back and quit and go back and quit and go back. You are repenting of your repentance. To repent is to turn around and go in a different direction. You walk towards sin, you go back to God. If you turn back to sin, you've repented of your repentance. And the Bible says godly sorrow will give you a real repentance that you won't turn back from. Some of y'all need to get to a place where you really can quit something. Let God get you in your heart so you can lay it down. I've seen so many people. And please don't do it. All right, we ain't, we, we, our trash cans are full. We don't need to pay the dumpster fee. People come, leave liquor bottles on the altar, leave cigarettes on, on the altar. I've seen people. I, I, I was sitting in a counseling session. A lady had her purse on the seat. Next to her, I'm sitting behind my desk. She said, Pastor Scott, uh, pray for me. I quit smoking this week. Pack of cool menthol sticking out the top of the purse. I'm like, well, what's them cigarettes for? Sorry, Mike said, oh, that's, 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 that's my just-in-case pack. You planning on failure? You plan to repent of what you just repented of? You're going to bing, 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 bing. I'm a drunk. I'm not a drunk. I, I'm, a, I'm a, yeah. Come on, church. Get into God and, and head in one direction and stay in one direction. People mess their own lives up. They, they get into God and they try to run wide open. The Christian life is not a, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You don't have to come in and be all perfect and holy on day one. Just keep walking toward Jesus. You'll get there eventually. (laughs) 
People don't like repentance. But God said, if you want to get back to where you were, you need to repent. Last thing you need to do. Not only do you need to remember and repent, you need to return. Jesus said in verse 5, put verse 5 on the screen for me, Elder. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. You need to return back to what you did when you first got saved. When you first got saved, you weren't thinking about missing church. When you first got saved, you, you were in your word. You were saying your prayers. You were praying on your knees. You were telling people about Jesus. You were inviting people to come to church. You were just a, a beacon for God's glory. You need to go back to doing, if you ever got saved for real, go back to doing what you used to do. Go back to loving God like you used to. Go back to loving people like you used to. Go back to giving tithes and offerings like you used to. Study, pray, spend time along with God. Listen, make him first. Come on, Jeff. Make him first. He used to be first. In the life of every true Christian, he was first when you got saved. What's first now? What crowded him out and became first? in your life he said remember what he saved you from see i i know what god saved me from he picked me up out of a ditch and washed me clean i'm never gonna forget the day god saved me because he made a change in my life he made a real difference in my life when i start to forget i remember what he did for me and I know I can't leave God because God has done too much for me to leave him. When I start doing stuff I shouldn't be doing, not because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a Christian. The Bible says to all believers, be ye holy. My sister told me one day, people expect so much out of you, Pastor Scott, when the reality is you do what you do because you're a Christian, not because you're a pastor. The Bible says, Nowhere in the Bible does it say to Christians, be ye holy, and pastors, be ye holier. We're all called to be holy. When I find myself being less than holy, pastor, yeah, you too? Oh, not you. I repent. Man, ain't nothing like repentance in the whole world. It's a great thing. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you. Cleanse you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can be clean in God. You don't have to wear the shame and the stain of sin and guilt. Some of y'all don't even feel the shame. You need God more than you know. After you repent, remember all he's done for you, after you repent of what you're doing wrong, return. Return. Go back and do all that stuff you did as a young Christian. We are about to have a reboot on this whole church. We're going to go almost as if it were a 2.0. We're getting an upgrade. Y'all don't remember Beyonce said, let me, let me, let me, let me, what? Upgrade you. We need to let me, let me, let me, let God upgrade you. We need to upgrade. 
Because the current, hey, they made me buy a new iPhone. I had my iPhone 4 from the day they came out to everybody had iPhone 6s. And they stopped letting me. They'd be trying to upgrade me every other day. New operator, I wasn't upgrading. And then it got so they wouldn't let iPhone 4 upgrade. So you had to buy a new phone. There comes a time in our life where we need a spiritual upgrade so we can reboot as a church. If you ever had a laptop that you'd been using for a while and it got cluttered and it started running slow, it needed an upgrade. It needed a reboot. Maybe it needed a, a, a hard boot. Maybe, maybe you need to hard power it on and off and that would help. Or maybe you need to have somebody go in there and just defragment that whole thing. Just throw away all the cookies, clean the cash out, get it running. And when that thing got running back right, it was like a brand new deal. We're going to go through an upgrade at the church. We're going to reboot this church. We're going to go back to doing what we used to do. When we, were, when we were just running like a well-oiled machine, we're going to go back to God first in everything, and I want to ask some of y'all to come along with us. I want you to get upgraded. I want you to reboot. I want you to fall back in love with God. I want you to get rid of all the bad stuff in your life and get back to being who God put you on this planet to be. He said, or else... He said, or else I will come to you quickly. And I will snatch the light right out of you. Don't let that happen. Don't, don't become a statistic. Don't become somebody who used to be in God. We all know somebody who used to be in church. They ain't in church no more. Fire went out. Some of y'all fire just barely holding on. You can't even really feel it, but it's in there somewhere. Let God fan your flame today. Let God get you back to loving him first more than anything. He said, I'm going to come. And I'm going to take that lampstand from his place unless you repent. There's a cure. There is a cure. If you're willing to be totally useless to God, no fire, no lampstand, I don't believe you're saved. Because being saved means you're a child of the Father. And real children want to please Daddy. Real children want God to be proud of Him. And if you want to please your Heavenly Father, you need to remember how good He was to you when He saved you. You need to repent of whatever it is you need to repent of, and you need to return back to doing what you used to do. I was going to have a big invitation, make all y'all come up here that wanted 2.0, all y'all come up here that, that wanted to reboot, all y'all come up here that were willing to say, Pastor, I've slidden back some, but I'm ready to front slide. Listen, that's an emotional thing. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's just a show. We're not going to do that today. But God knows in your heart whether or not you're really ready to put him first. And I pray that you'll be putting him first. Because if you don't, he's going to come to you quickly. He's going to take it away from you. He's going to take it away from you. He's going to take away that passion to honor him. And you're just going to be some useless body that used to be in church. Don't be that.
Be a champion for Christ. Honor your heavenly father. After all that Jesus did for us on the cross, how can you put him last? After the price that he paid for our salvation, how can you disrespect him and his house so easily? How, after everything that his son suffered and bled and died so that we could be saved and have a relationship with him, how can you take that so lightly and just decide that you're more important than him? How can you walk across the shed blood of Jesus and trample on his grace as if it means nothing to you? Don't do that. He's better than that. He deserves more than that. He loved us enough to die for us. My last question to you today, knowing that he loved us enough to die for us, will you be willing to love him enough to live for him? Will you be willing to love him enough to live for him? He's not looking for part-time lovers. He said, you only find me when you search and seek for me with your whole heart. I'm going to start searching for him with my whole heart. I'm going to put him back on the throne in my life, in my house. In every area of my life, God first. And I want you to put God on the throne in your life because he deserves it more than anybody else. More than your habits, more than your hobbies, more than your addictions. God needs to be your go-to. God needs to be your number one. You need to wake up with him on your mind and go to bed with him on your mind. You need to love him so much that you can't live without him. Pray with me, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving your life for us. God, I offer my life to you completely. You gave your whole life on the cross, every ounce, every breath. I give you my every breath today, God, my total being. Help us, Lord, to love you first. Help us, Lord, to return to our first love. Help us to be more dependent on you than on anything else, anyone else. You alone are God. You alone are worthy. You're the only God that there is. You're above everything. Help us to realize that, God. This community needs to see your love. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us repent so that the fire will burn so brightly in us that we truly will be a lighthouse to the world of your goodness, your grace, and your love. Thank you, God, for saving us when you didn't have to. Thank you for not throwing us away when you could have. Thank you for caring about us and loving us unconditionally. Help us, God, to put you first. Help us to honor you more than we do. Help us to return back to being praying people, Bible reading people, serving you, caring more about your things than our own things. Let us gather in your name and give you glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ALCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web 
at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.